Welcome to the third edition of Cold Listen Hot Take, a supplement to the Combing the Stacks podcast. In an attempt to hear even more albums from the 60s, we've committed to several bonus episodes in which we will listen to an album cold and then immediately give a response in the form of a hot take. The episodes will feature no bios and no research, just pure unvarnished opinions from John, Josh, and Matt and a 15-minute time limit for each segment whenever possible. In this episode, we will cover five unique albums from the 1960s that, while not on the top 100 on the Best Ever Albums charts, made the top 500 albums on the most recent Rolling Stone list. These are some of the true hidden gems of the era, mixed with some well-known artists' best work of the decade. We'll get you started with a montage of songs from the artists we'll cover before throwing it to a series of segments taped over the past two months. Enjoy the musical interlude, and we'll see you inside.
Hello to all the listeners in CTS Nation. It's John, and welcome to the third edition of Cold Listen Hot Take. Whether you're a first-timer, a long-timer, or a lifer, it's always great to have you inside the warm confines of the podcast, along with my good friends and panelists, the dynamic duo of dialogue, Josh and Matt. We've got an incredible menu of five albums that are a blending of styles and which are sure to include at least one hidden treasure for even the most discerning listener. This segment will take us inside the wall of sound with the Ronettes, with the 1964 album Presenting the Fabulous Ronettes, featuring Veronica. The album has two songs listed in Rolling Stone's Top 500 Songs of All Time, and five songs that charted in the U.S. Top 40. I have the stopwatch ready and willing to go. Are you guys ready to talk about this Ronettes album? Ready. Let's, let's do it. All right, and here we go. Go. All right, Josh, initial impressions. Uh, well, it, this uh, the Ronettes have such a distinct sound, and it's the Phil Spector wall of sound, right? And mm-hmm. you get the you get all of the layers of, of the Ronettes singing and the sound effects in the, at the opening with the storm, and then later on you get live versions with crowd noise and all the horns and the drums. And... I, I can't associate some of these songs. I mean, it's hard to not associate some of these songs with, with movie soundtracks, right? Especially mm-hmm. <laughs> especially with Martin Scorsese and uh, yep. <laughs> Dirt, Dirty Dancing and uh, all of, and Chapel of Love, which is a great cover. Um, I, I did like this album. It did feel uh, the theme. There is no real deviation from the theme, right? There's definitely mm-hmm. a, a, you know, about love breaking up getting back together falling in love getting married that came through over and over again even some of the song titles are similar in sound where i wouldn't know necessarily what the song sounded like based on the title just um, just a few of them Um, so that was a little uh that was a negative in my column they didn't really go outside of their lane of the three of them singing differently or or exploring different themes um this really seemed like i'm I'm assuming phil specter since we didn't research this or i didn't that you know he had a clear idea of what he wanted to present with them with this group and and uh, that's what they did so yeah I, i know a little bit over the years just from having watched you know the phil specter biopic and just different stuff on that era of music that he definitely viewed the Ronettes and in particular uh, Ronnie Spector as like the voice that was the perfect voice to be in front of his sound right and so that's kind of the origin story there in terms of how they merge together yeah so how about you Matt what was your thoughts so I I first I first of all I think Josh did a good job of explaining you know kind of doing a little synopsis here so thanks for that Josh um (laughs) I I have I'm gonna have mixed some mixed reviews uh mixed thoughts on this um I so on the on the positive I think that the songs are great I think that you know just the songs themselves there's some there's great melody here um I really like the variety of instruments that are used particularly the percussion um there's a lot of different percussion instruments and I think that that's probably the thing along with um, Ronnie Spector's voice, which I do like as well, kind of it's got that slightly raspy, velvety kind of kind of uh, vocals that um, that I do like. But I really like the drums um, and, you know, the, 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 the various percussion instruments that were being used, like the castanets. You hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know if you hear I, I'm I'm wondering if there's timpani on this. There's some really deep like 
big full mm. uh, drum sounds that could be. I, I, I'm not sure if they're timpani or if they're just a certain type of tom tom drum or whatever. But yeah, um, like cymbals or something I heard on. You know, there's, one, well, there's definitely that too, and like, yeah, tambourines and like, there's like sleigh bells in the opening track, you know. So right. there's there's a lot of percussion all over the place here, which um, which I did like yeah, there's a lot. Always multiple of every instrument is part of one of the things of the wall of sound. Mm. So, and I also know, believe it or not, because I did see something on <laughs> Phil Spector, which of course Ronnie Spector was married to Phil Spector, and if I remember correctly, Sonny and Cher actually play on this album if I remember correctly. Oh. And I'm pretty sure Sonny Bono does did drums on this album as one of the drummers. So just, okay. I, I'll have to research that, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. But I know that there's there's at least three or four drummers in the wall of sound at all times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so. no, that's, it's very noticeable. And then there's a lot of strings and then there's some horns and keys. Mm-hmm. And um, and the background vocals are good. So all the the instrumentation, the songs themselves, the melody, like all that stuff, I I, I really enjoyed. I wouldn't say that I loved it, but I, I think it's really good. I mean, and then you've got songs like Josh said, "Chapel of Love," and then "Be My Baby," which is just an all time classic. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, that's one for the ages, really. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. much a perfect pop song. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, my biggest problem with this is Phil Spector. Um, I, I really, okay. it's it's too. I, I, it's too echoey. It's too, everything is kind of muted into the background. And I'm kind of like, okay, he's got all the instruments going. There's clearly a lot of sounds, hence the wall of sound. But I just, I don't know. I felt like it, I I feel like it, it hurt the overall sound of the album because I wanted particularly you know in the middle part of the record when i when i was just like all right can we get a little bit more clarity can we get a little bit more of a crisp sound and mm-hmm. you're not getting that here you're getting a more of a muted and muffled sound um there's a lot of echoes that are going on and by the end of the record i'm just like uh, you know well it, it's okay that's to kind do of the a... wall of sound right yeah. the reverb from the echo like the the whole thing of the wall of sound is the reverb from the echo right well so, and i guess yeah. i guess i thought it was always just like the you know just the 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 sheer number of instruments that he was using and the di- different things that he was doing. But um, I, I, I was kind of, I, I think that took something away from this. And um, I, you know, if I'm comparing this to anything that we've done before, you know, I would have to go to the, um, Oh gosh, the Supremes when John, when you and I covered mm-hmm. the Supremes yep. and I like that. I mean, Same it's very, it's it, okay. Exactly. Right. And it's a very similar thing. It's a girl, it's a three, you know, female group um, trio. I believe that's what they're called. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's very similar themes, right? So it's all about love and breaking up and sadness and yep. things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I much prefer that because it just, hmm. okay. I, I think it was, I, I, I like something a little bit more crisp and it sound. And I think that also with all that echoey kind of uh, muted sound, it does sound a little bit more dated. Um, and I, you know, it, and maybe not more people weren't recreating what Phil Spector did. So it's it certainly when you hear it, you know, it's Phil Spector, but um, yeah, very distinct. I, I, I wouldn't say that I hated it, but um, I think I would have liked it at it. You know, maybe you do it a little here, a little there. But um, I, yeah, I think the production really just took something away from me on this. There's no there's no room but, to breathe. Right. It, it feels like you're just like right from the get go. There is. Well, you got to remember too. Like, how much do you guys know about the wall of sound? Because some of what you're describing, it's very fair, and it's 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 criticisms of it. But a lot of what you guys are saying you don't like is, it's it's so Phil Spector. So the wall of sound, like first of all, he Phil Spector hated stereo sound, right? Like he only would record in mono. That so that was a big factor. So a lot of what you're hearing, like that lack of, because the last couple um you know, regular episodes of the show, right? We've talked a lot about listening to stuff on headphones and this is not the type of album that listening on headphones is going to, to be a, 
a listen that it's going right. to enhance the listen, right? Because it's coming through one speaker. And the wall of sound, the idea is that you're playing the same notes, but with variations of the same instrument. And I think the the, the one that I always remember is they talk about, like, he would love to do keys parts, like one on a piano, one on like a harpsichord, one on, you know, different, different elements of the same note. So it got like a layered sound a little bit. And this is, this Ronette's sound is in many ways, like, the perfect distillation of that wall of sound. Now, I like the wall of sound quite a bit, so the production didn't hurt me as much. Um, But I can definitely see why it wouldn't be for everybody. Um, Because it is, it's, it does have that echoey feel. Um, I agree with Josh a little bit that it's a little samey. You know, 12 tracks, it does feel like you're listening to a variation of the same track at all times. Um, I agree with Matt in that it's very similar to the Supremes. Um, album that we did in terms of both thematically and although i would say this one the love seemed not as <laughs> bad you know abusive. what i mean matt like yeah it didn't seem as abusive it seemed more egalitarian kind of because she okay. wasn't saying like you yeah. did me wrong more it was more just like it seemed like the relationships were healthier and more based on mutually exclusive love than like the you know abusive style love which is kind of ironic knowing the history of ronnie specter um but um, but I, I, I do like the wall of sound, so I really like this. It, it is of a time and a place, and it does, as was mentioned, sound a little dated if you're listening to it from a modern ear, especially not having a stereo version. But mm-hmm. um, I think just the the, the, the way that the, the track was put together and, and remembering that it was 1964 and trying to remember what else was recorded in that time, like it must have been amazing to hear this type of production because right. people were mostly laying down just a general baseline, right? And even people with lots of instrumentation, it, it wasn't sounding like this in a cohesive produced element. Yeah. So are you saying... Go ahead, Josh. I was just going to say, it did remind me a little bit of a Beach Boys album right at the beginning when I first yeah. started listening. You know, well, you yeah. That, that sound of Brian, almost Brian Wilson and, layering. And things. So Young was on the Beach Boys album that we covered already, the yep. uh, Beach Boys oh, today. Okay. That it, was yep, a song exactly. we heard already. I'm glad you caught that, Max. I was going to bring that up, and uh, it's it it's because Brian Wilson's a probably one of the biggest, um, you know, adherents to that sort of wall of sound idea of producing. Although he did take it in a different direction with stereo and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I always thought, like, um, you know, like the song uh, "Did You Run Run" that the Ronettes did. Yeah, I always yeah. thought that was like almost. If you want to know what the wall of sound sounds like, like that song and and be my baby too are like probably the perfect examples of like when that sound hits on all cylinders. I would say. Mm. Yeah, and I I I think that um I I, well, I guess I'm wondering if John, if you're saying that if this was done in stereo, then is 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 mono doesn't mean that it automatically has well, to no, be that echoey sound. Well, no, this was done in mono. This was done in mono. Yeah. No, I know that, but 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 if it but you're saying mono, but that. I don't mind it being mono, but I just think that does it, it doesn't have to be echoey. Like, he's doing something in addition to that. It's not just the mono production that's Well, the that echoey echo. comes from the layering of the, the, the music, right? Like like I said before, there's like the piano. There's a regular piano, an electric piano, and a harpsichord, yeah. right? Okay. For the bass yeah. guitars, he would, he would have the basses, but strung at different, you know, different... Uh, you know, tensions, you know, and stuff like that, or just different versions, like the electric bass with the stand-up bass, you know, different stuff, the horns, you know, he'd, he'd have different horns playing stuff with the woodwinds. 
and yeah. just bl- blast you away. That's why it's a wall, right? The wall and, of different yeah. sounds. And nothing yeah. nothing stands out, right? Nothing like even the mm-hmm. vocals, they might stand out a little bit more. Yeah. They, he might have those a little bit higher, but everything pretty much is at the same level. Um so yeah, I just I, I don't know. I it, and you're right. I I probably am looking at this more of a with a modern ear. I think that um you know here and there it's it's got its purpose. But I think uh, listening to an you know a 36 minute album, it's it is that sameness and it is kind of like you know I I just felt like I would have liked this more if if the sound was crisper. If he could do a lot yep. of that music, yeah, that instrumentation and have it be a crisper sound, um I think it would have been better. But um that's just a personal thing. Um. I, I do think, though, that the, what, something that stood out to me, a couple of things, um, I think How Does It Feel might have been the mm-hmm. most interesting song on the album because I think that was the most different. It's got a very interesting percussion part that's very fast-paced and like an urgent kind of a thing. It's not really doo-wop or, yeah. or, or blues rock, which is, I mean, most of this is kind of like a doo-wop thing, but this is really its own thing. Um, and I found that, not saying I like that the best, but I think that that caught my attention the most as being, wow, this is a little bit of a change of pace. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, what I'd say, I remember that from Tommy Boy. That was the song that yeah. they were singing at Tommy Boy's dad's wedding when he died. So uh, well, I they're pressing the Ray Charles version of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the song yes. that's how the yes. song stood out. But uh, I always have to get my movie references in when we do these uh, these bonus yeah. episodes, whether it be interspace. I think Josh missed the interspace one, didn't he, John? We talked about interspace. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot. Yeah. Like when I heard what I say, it's like that's the Ray Charles, and then Chapel of Love. I think is like the Dixie Cups, if I remember correctly. Was is that the famous? That? Is that the fam- was yes, that the famous that's the version? Most this okay. one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This one yep. didn't sound like you know, the famous. The, one. Go into the chapel yes. and uh, yeah, that's the. I think that's the Dixie Cups, if I remember. But yeah. But, so is this the original version of that song, or is the other one? The I original? think it's a cover. Okay. Yeah. So, any song stand out for you, Josh? We have two minutes left. Uh, I mean, just besides "Be My Baby," "Baby I Love You," um, is this is another song that I've heard before, and. What did I like? Oh, the best part of breaking up. I think that was my other. Oh, that was good. That yeah, that was yeah. a good one. Yeah. You get the you, you get the baby trifecta. You get be my baby, you yeah. baby, and baby, I love you. There's lots of <laughs> babies baby on this. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, like, it's kind of that was a, a, a hallmark, right? It's if you listen to any Motown too, like there's four tops albums where like half of the songs like you know baby I need your loving baby 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 you know stuff like that. So yeah. <laughs> did um did Phil Spector produce that Supremes album also, or is that just mm, I don't think uh, it didn't sound like this. I oh, don't okay. think so. No, okay. I think that was um what's it, the what was the group we talked about the um the the two guys uh the the songwriting oh. team for Motown that I am totally blanking on. Um, I know you're yeah yep. Uh, Dozer, Holland, and Dozer. Do- there you like go. That. Dozer and Hollings. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Dozer, Dozer, and Hollings. Yep, that's who did the Supremes album. Okay, but yeah, yeah, the Supremes the, the, the Supremes were definitely not... They were much more of a minimalist um, production. Yeah, I, per- um, I prefer that. Josh, if you listen to that, you'll see a difference in that production, and I think that that's and, kind of and what I, I prefer. prefer I prefer this. Um, so it's kind of funny in, in that sense, because mm. um, that was my, my big gripe on that Supremes album, was that it um, it was like... I thought it didn't have a lot of heft. Um, yeah, but I'll I'll kind of add I'll I'll add this too. I think Ronnie Spector's voice is fantastic. I like that yeah. like huskier voice, yeah. um, especially compared to many of her peers. I compare it to like um, you know Martha and the Vandellas, who I mentioned a lot in the Supremes thing. That that they're kind of Martha Reeves and Ronnie Spector to me are are the premier female group front women. Mm. So I do want to yeah. just throw that out there. So it's like Eddie Money. 
just like, just like getting just like Ronnie said back in the day. And what a perfect way to end this episode because that actually got us to the 15 minutes right there. So that is it. That man, these 15 minute segments fly yeah, by, fly don't by. they, guys? Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like you you want to you want to make sure that people got enough of it. But um, let's end with this um, recommendation: yay, nay, in the middle, Josh. Uh, yeah, I'm a little in the middle. I would almost like to hear a, a best of compilation of the of the Ronettes and see what else. Well, I think we're this eventually going to get album. a fill. Uh, I think it's their only formal album, if I remember oh, really? correctly. Okay. Yeah, um, we are going to at some point get a four disc Phil Spector <laughs> Phil Spector in mono set. So you will truly oh, that's a, that's that's one of the episodes that will be a standalone. So get ready, Matt, if you Ugh. are through overwhelmed here. Uh, Matt, what was your take? Uh, I, I mean, I, I think for a historical purpose, I, and, and there's there's good, good enough songs in here that I would recommend it, but um, it, it it's not it it's not a strong recommend. Um, but yeah. uh, it's it's it, it, historical. It's it's an important record, so uh, I'd say yes for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll go with my. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Josh. I was just gonna say I don't think it belongs on the top 100 necessarily. If we're gonna slot it in somewhere. No, I think in the Rolling Stone countdown, it was 494 on the new charts. So that's how it ends up our way. Um, I I would say that like as much as I love Motown and Wall of Sound and 60s girl group stuff, and and I think it's been clearly established (laughs) through the you know cleaning the attics that Matt and I did, the the regular episodes and some of these that I do. um, I do think a lot of these groups were singles groups. And I think they were designed mm. to be listened to as singles. Mm. And I think the Runettes are no different. And um, I, I really look forward to that Phil Spector album we're going to do because it's basically going to be like a greatest hits of like a 10 year period. And oh, I'll, nice. it, it'll basically be a greatest a series of greatest hits albums. So I'll be curious to see how we respond to that when we get to it. But I would say it, it, there's a lot worse ways you can spend 34 minutes of your life than listening yeah. to this album. Oh, sure. And yeah. um, and there's a lot of really great songs on here. And especially if you were to listen to it parceled up, um, you know, as individual tracks, I think it particularly holds yeah, up. So I absolutely I'd say, agree with that. I'd say slight recommend, it, it, but it does get a little samey after 12 tracks. It's a good uh, Ides of November soundtrack for the Ides of November <laughs> yes. it, it, it does fight off the Ides of November as we're taping this it's in the evening and it feels like it's dark from uh for the entirety of the day doesn't it so yeah. the Ronettes do bring a little bit of sunshine in there so all right well I think that's going to tie up this episode so once again thanks so much for listening to Okay, it's going to be an interesting one. The Flying Burrito Brothers. I know that uh, way back when, Matt, when we did the uh, bonus, the first bonus episode, as opposed to the yep. sixth one that we're doing now, we did The Bird's Sweetheart of the Rodeo, which featured uh, many of the uh, members of this group as well. And we had name-dropped the Flying Burrito Brothers during that episode. And it all comes full circle, doesn't it? Because this is the second-to-last segment we're mm. going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right. With that being said, I'm going to start the clock at 15 minutes here in a second. And just to deprive you of the joy of talking about your favorite type of music, man, I'm going to start with Josh. So because I'm just that much of a jerk. So are we ready, guys? 15 minutes. Josh, your initial take. Uh, I am completely underwhelmed by this album. And I do not understand <laughs> the greatness so, can, associated with it. <laughs> can I ask you a question, Josh? Because I know yeah. that last time we talked, one of the few albums you hadn't listened to that you yes. weren't on was, was Sweetheart of the Rodeo by The Birds. Since I'm sure Matt and I will reference that, have you listened to that yet? No, I have not. <laughs> I oh, have not. Okay. okay. All right. Well, well, we'll talk about that down the road, but okay. Continue. Okay. Um, 
I was not expecting basically like a straight up country album with like a hint of a dash of hippie hippiness um, in it. And that's that's pretty much what I heard. I struggled to find a differentiation between um, from song to song. Um, I like the inclusion of the pedal steel in it, but I didn't like the singing and the harmonies. And I felt like they really didn't try anything different within the album. I think what they're doing is good. I think they're technically sound and I think they have talent and I think they're doing a, a good uh, rendition of a country's country album. But I did. I think I'd rather just listen to other artists or older artists that do this style of music than... Um, then listen to this again. I don't, I really um, was, I don't know, puzzled or just kind of uninterested in what it sounded like. And um, I didn't think that they were really trying to say anything um, different in their, in their album either. I don't, I didn't feel like they were breaking ground in ways. Um, I may be way off base. I, it just didn't really strike me um, in the way that some of the other albums that we've talked about have. What do you Gosh. think, Matt? So first of all, it's not my favorite music. It's it's a type of music that I do. All like right, a fair lot. enough. Yep. Um, and I I do really like this album. I didn't know most of the songs. I knew some of the songs because I do I do have a, a CD back. I don't know if it was back in the early two thousands or at some point maybe the late nineties that there was a, a tribute album to Graham Parsons and that was a and so songs like Sin City. Um, was were on that hot burrito number one was on that and um so i so i was familiar with some of those songs um and i i can i understand what josh is saying um when i first because i've known about graham parsons and you know uh and in his work and uh you know for many many years when i first listened to it i was kind of taken aback by it as well this is very very country um mm -hmm. you know and when you when you label Graham Parsons, the Flying Burrito Brothers, you know, as, you know, alternative country or, you know, part of the the counterculture, right? It's, I think it's more in image and style more so than the music um, because there's not a whole, there, I don't really hear a whole lot of rock. There is some elements of that in here because there's some, there's like a, a fuzzed out guitar that actually reminded me of the sound that you heard in a, uh, we heard in a uh, Mutantes, hmm. like a like a distort like a just a heavy distorted guitar that was just playing like one chord, yeah. um, and so that was kind of peppered in there that I thought made it a little interesting. But I understand what Josh is saying because when I first started listening to this, I was kind of like, what, what, what is I, this? Is full blown country? I don't listen to country. Like I, right. I'm not used to this, right? And so over the years, um, in listening to not only more of this but also other types of bands that kind of infuse more of a rock. Um, you know, element to it or, um, or bluegrass, like the, the pre, cause there was some bluegrass stuff on here as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of grew to appreciate this. So this is a very easy listen for me. Um, it's, it, I, I see what you're saying too, Josh. It doesn't really, it kind of all blends together. It's got, I got a samey, you know, there's some slower songs and some more upbeat songs, but it's a very traditional kind of country. A lot of waltz type songs, a lot of, um, you know, the, the steel guitar is yeah. still, is very prominent. I do like the harmonies. It's kind of interesting. Um, I think I, if I'm not mistaken, it sounds like Graham Parsons is just harmonizing against himself. I, I don't know if Chris oh, Hillman is, okay. is harmonizing as well, but, um, but I could hear it when I was listening on my headphones, you could hear it was distinctly one part in one ear and another part in another yep. ear. So, um, so I, I like Graham Parsons voice. Um, and, um, I like this album a lot. I, I love the do right woman.
Franklin was on there, and I didn't realize like till he hit the chorus. I'm like, that's the Aretha Franklin song that we heard mm-hmm. from, you know. So, yep. and that's and that's like that's another good example. And I've talked about this before recently, but just how uh, the same song you mix up the instrumentation, you mixed up the style, and it's a totally different genre, right? So yeah. that's one of those songs you're hearing two verses, and it t- doesn't take until the chorus before you go, holy crap. That's like a totally different song. And I love covers like that. So I do appreciate when people do covers of, of songs, they do them well and they do them totally different. They kind of make it their own. Um, so I did like that. But I think Sin City is a beautiful song. Um, there's some really great, uh, you know, very pretty, very beautiful songs on here. Um, you know, I think that Graham Parsons is a very strong songwriter, uh, you know, but I think that my guess is Josh, if maybe if you heard this music just done in different in a different style that maybe you were a little bit more used to, you might appreciate that a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. But this is yeah, this is a very straight up country album, so I definitely recommend it. But if you are a person that's averse to anything that sounds country or honky tonk or bluegrass or whatever, uh, this is going to be a big turnoff for you. So um, I could see it as a it's a little bit of a polarizing album, but um, I still think it's really strong, and I enjoyed listening to it from front to back. Did they add more like rock elements to later albums? Not, re- not. You know? uh, so the Flying Burrito Brothers, if I'm not mistaken, they carried on. Grand Parsons died, you know, young, yep. and oh, I okay. they they so they they carried on and they had albums that went way past this. So I can't speak to what they did, but Grand Parsons, whatever you're talking about, the Birds when he was with them, you're talking about his solo stuff. Flying Burrito Brothers is all very much like this. He did not okay. deviate yeah. too much in his sound. Gotcha. Well, and he was yeah. This, I, uh, this was ahead, was this the only Burrito Brothers album he was on that he was a part of? I don't know. Okay. I don't. I don't know. I'd have to look that up. Um, I can look that up while John. Yeah, I feel like take. there was another one. I mean, this is where like uh, it's having done the journey through the '60s is so key because yeah. coming coming into mm-hmm. all of this, I don't know if I would have as sophisticated a palette for all of this, but having listened to Sweetheart of the Rodeo and having Matt done a wonderful bio, and we had a pretty great conversation about country music and the juxtaposition and different stuff so if you if you find yourself listening to this and being it i'm actually i think one of our better segments that we ever did matt and i was was on sweetheart of the rodeo i think it's a pretty good one having gone back and listened to Mm -hmm. it but a lot of my thoughts on that in terms of how i feel about this type of country fusion are there but i'll repeat some of them i will say though that I started to chronologically remember where everything hit, right? Because it was like Graham Parsons was doing his thing with country music that was largely detached from the mainstream at all. Mm-hmm. Just kind of, you know, he's a young guy. He's certainly not a member of the Nashville scene. He's certainly not a member of the pop or rock scene, right? So right. then, if I remember correctly, Matt, isn't it that like he was in like a line somewhere? He meets Chris yeah. Hillman and he, then yeah, he, he, at a he bank, ends up at in the bird. Yeah, yeah, but and then David Crosby's gone, and hey, you're in the birds. So, and then it's like, well, well since I'm here, let's just make an album exactly like this. So then, mm-hmm. Sweetheart of the Rodeo comes out. The the jangle guitar is entirely gone, which was very difficult for me the first time I heard that album because that's what makes the birds the birds to some degree for me. Mm-hmm. But the more I've listened to Sweetheart of the Rodeo, and I've listened to it three times now, the more I've grown to like it because it still has some of the essence in terms of the birds in it that I think refine some of it. Um, then I look at this album as from that album, it goes in two different directions, right? Cause I think Nashville skyline comes out like six months later after this. And I, I love that album. And I think that Bob Dylan kind of hit the, what does rock and country music sound like when it's fused really well? Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what Nashville skyline is. It's taking that sweetheart of the rodeo country and rock combination and 
extending it from what Sweetheart of the Rodeo was. This, to me, represents a little bit more of a hard deviation into country country. And I think that's kind of... This is a little bit more of the... the I think what Graham Parsons was going for in Sweetheart of the Rodeo, but got tempered a little bit by the fact that he had to like balance out other members of the band. Because mm-hmm. this... this definitely sounds like he's at the controls with Hillman, you know, uh, pulling it along as well mm-hmm. with some anchored bass. I, I, I like steel guitar, so I can't say I dislike that. It works. But there was steel guitar on Sweetheart of the Rodeo, too, and I liked it there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the songs, as Matt said, the quality of the songs themselves, just like on Sweetheart of the Rodeo, they're very good songs. I think it's, for me, the, the, the thing that Josh said that resonates with me is there is a little... There is a little bit that after, and I feel this way to some degree about country and even alt country at times somewhat. When you have a 12 song, or in this case, it's an 11 song album by like song seven, I find myself saying, how many songs do I really have to listen to this genre (laughs) to do it? Like, I feel like I get a couple off the jukebox and we're good to go. Uh, With that being said, I actually think the back end of this album is stronger than the the front end. I like the the run of Juanita and the two hot burritos, one and two, is probably my favorite three-song progression. I also agree with Matt that Sin City might be the best track on this. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a really quality song, and uh, the structure of it I like a lot. But I'm going to throw this one into the pile of it's, to me, it's not necessarily essential but i also think that it is it is probably very influential Hmm. um because you can see where it went Uh, now is it more influential than you know sweetheart of the rodeo i don't think as much because that one just came out of left field for me you know and totally pretty much created the genre in terms of a a, a real you know famous band making an album like this so this seems more like a side this more seems like jack white with the (laughs) with a side project of Jack White that's more his personal taste as opposed to like the White Stripes, which is a more mainline taste, you know? Well, and part of Sweetheart of the Rodeo was the fact that it was the birds, right? And an already right. established, right. like, you know, kind of like, um, you know, it, so they had psychedelic rock, you know, they had, you yeah. know, uh, pop rock. They had their own sound and they were very popular and then it just went in this total different direction. Yeah, no um, psychedelia, no jangle guitar, no, no David Crosby songs, you know, all of that was going. Right. So. And so that's why I say, I think that that's kind of when you're talking about, you know, how this is the crossover it's not so much as in the sound as it is in like in graham parsons you know mm-hmm. I, I would say i mean he's not wearing cowboy hat cowboy hats and boots and you know doing the huh you know the, like the country voice yeah. you know he's kind of and he's got the long hair and when he's like trying to infiltrate the uh you know the grand Ole opry or try to get into mm-hmm. that group they were totally they, they weren't well received you know um they got you know, they were very, you know, people were very much against them um, because it's it was almost like the image was the rock and roll part. But oh, they did have some rock elements. I would agree, John, that's probably you hear a little bit more of that in the Sweetheart of the Rodeo. They also covered like several Dylan songs, a couple Dylan songs on that. Um, mm-hmm. This is mostly well, actually you know, Parsons say, and Hillman. Yeah, I just thought of something, by the way. You know who kind of took what Graham Parsons might have been trying to do and did it really well? A buddy of his in that era who he was hanging around with quite a bit. Oh, the Rolling Stones. Yeah. They, they, when you think of Sticky Fingers in Exile, that's a better version in some songs of this. Well, it's more of a fusion of, I mean, rock is yeah. more there. This is more country. So, yeah. But, but I, there's some I, country yeah. in those out. Al- like, we're going to get to them in the 70s oh, no, there is. early. So, no, we'll, we'll do a callback. We'll there's do a def- callback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, there's definitely country in that. But I, I think that just goes back to what, you know, I was saying that, like, this. 
I this to me is way more country, you know, and, and if you're just listening to it, like, you know, not paying attention to the context or, you know, uh, or, or Graham Parsons as a person or, or what he looked like or anything like that. It's like it's 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 full blown country, you know. Well, you know, little, you see, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I No, just with a, with a little bit of drips and drabs of like, like, here's an electric guitar thing. You know, this is something that's got less steel, like one of the ladder tracks has less steel guitar. So it doesn't stand out as much as like being. You know, would you, a country song. Would you say there's nothing as good as this Christian, uh, the Christian life on Sweetheart of the Rodeo as an example, and then later like a song like Dead Flowers on Sticky Fingers, which I think like is a better version of this type of song in the fusion. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's like what this is going on, but like a to me a much more enjoyable version of it. I think that's I, what this is missing. Just yeah, I think like I think you could I think you could make the argument that de- something like Dead Flowers is like the is like the perfect, you know, quite essential right. song, you know, in the, in the really, the, the true marriage of country and rock and roll. Yes. That's um, what I, that's what I was thinking of. That's the, yeah. the evolution of this evolution. Yeah. Yeah. And they yeah. were, in, and that's, and they did that because of Graham Parsons, right? Yeah, I was going to say, that's you know, the ultimate, yeah. Graham Parsons you know. influencing. So the, I yeah. think that that's where you see the influence of Parsons. But when you get down to like the actual stuff that he did, you know, I could see somebody being like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little, it's a little hard to get into because it is a very strong, you know, uh, sound like that, um, that country sound, but, um, but yeah, he, apparently this is, he did two albums with the Brito brothers. The last one he did was in 1970. Um, so, uh, and then he died in 73. So I know he went, he did several, um, a couple of solo albums. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he paired up a lot with Emmylou Harris mm. and, uh, who actually sings on that tribute album. That's how Sin City is actually a duet with Emmylou Harris and Beck. Um, oh, they sing that song. So, so he, uh, it sounds like he version. really just loved country music and wanted to be a country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he, yes, he loved country music, but he also, you know, he was a cool dude. He kind of, he liked rock and roll and he wanted to kind of bring, he wanted to make country music hip, you know, mm. that was part of his, his mission. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he would certainly succeed with that, um, you know, with the influence that he had, but, but yeah, the Burrito brothers are technically still around today, like 2020, huh. they're still around, you know, so wow. they've had, oh, wow. if you look at the Wikipedia page and you see all the people that, that have been in the band at one point or another, I bet there's like 30, 40 people on here. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's insane. So rotating so, cast. Yes. Well, um, last, last thing I'll say, because we're right up against it. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest difference, as I was thinking of it, is like, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I'd love for a, a, someone more learned on the guitar or country music in particular to do it. But there's a big difference in uh, country music to me always kind of starts the same, <laughs> the, the tracks and like, <laughs> you know, the birds and stuff. It's like a lot more than like, you know, like it's a lot of that leading in, whereas yeah. this is a, a much more straightforward lead in, you know, like, uh, like I, I can't really describe it, but like each of the tracks on like a certain all country, it's like a meandering lead in or like these are more like, dun, 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 like it's it's more straight ahead, the notes. And I I, I kept noticing it and God, I'm doing a terrible job of explaining it, but like I. <laughs> I, like if you listen to the first 10 seconds of every song on Sweetheart of the Rodeo and ep- the first 10 seconds of every song on this, you'll notice it if you give it that listen. I just don't know what the technique is that's being done there. But that was mm. a big thing I noticed between the fusion and the um, – and, and I, I think I specifically noticed it because when the Stones later did Country 2 – and when uh, Bob Dylan was doing it, they did the same thing the birds did. But when Graham Parsons was doing it here in his solo albums, he does it a different way. Hmm. So I'll have to look into that and maybe clean the stacks at some point on that. But yeah. Yeah. 
Well, this was uh, number one sixteen in the nineteen sixties, so it was kind of mm-hmm. uh, touching the, uh, the the fringes there. Um, and actually, I'm, I'm going to bring this up when we do our first episode in the seventies. But I have a whole like thought of this, like the the concept of like the sameness of, of music, um, mm-hmm. and and I I think that it's I've had a cu- posed a couple questions to myself that I think I want to discuss. So I'm throwing a little mm-hmm. teaser out there that All I think right. it's going to well, come into play when we cover stuff in the uh, first episode of the seventies. Maybe we do it as like the, I'm thinking about the idea of like an essential question before we get into the movie or the uh, music reviews. Maybe we mm-hmm. can do it as the essential question for episode one. So there you go. Cool. All right. Flying All right. burrito brothers, gilded palestine from 1969. The next segment sees the CTS crew cover First Take, the debut album by singer-songwriter Roberta Flack from June 1969. The album took a while to catch on until Clint Eastwood included The First Time I Ever Saw Your Face in the 1971 movie Play Misty for Me, catapulting the album to number one. Strumming my pain with his fingers, guys. Roberta Flack. That not song is not on. This on I was gonna say this song is not on this <laughs> oh, album. Is, but... is that her? Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh boy. Well, well, that is just giving you a tell right there to see how familiar he is with Roberta Flack's work. I am somewhat familiar with Roberta Flack's work, including this one. Josh, how about you? Before we get into it, how familiar? That's were all you? I knew her from. That's all. You, okay. Was, yeah. So I was yep. glad to listen to this album. So yes, and now Matt's gonna have to listen to that album so that he doesn't hear the one time, one time, <laughs> one time. from Wyclef yeah. every which, single time. Which album are we? Which album are we talking about? What's the the Fuji's album mean? The score? Oh no, I know that album. No, but... The Roberta Flack album. That yeah, it's that from uh, it's from her second album. Which oh, is that the one, is that Killing Me Softly? Is it that yeah. one? Uh, yes, Killing Me Softly. <laughs> okay. Yes, mm-hmm. I just pulled it yep. up here. It's like oh, mm-hmm. that one. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. I wasn't sure if that was the name of the album or not, but yeah, I know Sur- it's a surprisingly album. Yep. nobody's killing her on this on the cover of that album. So yeah. um, she's just at a piano. surprisingly. With yeah, well, song. it says "Killing Me Softly" is the name of the album, and nobody's that's, getting killed on it. So it's that's... a metaphor, Matt. <laughs> it's oh, <a> meta- <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, okay. And and we'll jump right. into it right here. But there's a fair amount of metaphors on this album as well. Ooh, so are there ever? Yes. And so you know, let's start the clock right now. Josh, walk us through some of those metaphors on this album. Well, you've got uh, love, you've got love, you've got uh-huh. uh, the black experience, you've uh-huh. got living, living in poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Uh, a lot of uh, like political... a lot of taboo subjects, I'd say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Political leaning or maybe like, a, I don't want to say social justice, but social issues um, I picked up on as mm-hmm. well. But yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah. Um, I this I'm so glad we listened to this album because it is great and she is great um not knowing her from from anything else except um the Fuji's cover but yeah she sings so beautifully and she has such a strong voice and she's confident in a way that's different than say like Tina Turner who we recently talked about she's got I feel like she's got like this no nonsense vibe to her singing um and the songs themselves on this album have a lot of like jazz uh like lounge type of inflection to them um a lot of bass that I picked up on or is prominent I would say um on the songs and a lot also it almost feels like uh a soundtrack to like a black exploitation movie or a a movie featuring a black cast in in the 70s um i feel like this album is almost ahead of its time from what we've heard up to this point 
and just, I agree wholeheartedly, Josh, with that and, comment. I have that written down. Yep. Yeah, and also she sings in Spanish for one entire song, which is pretty, pretty remarkable. And that song is great, Angelitos Negros, which is Black Angels, I imagine, or Little Black Angels, and and. But it's a double entendre because it also could be Angelitos Negros if you decide to look at it in a non-Spanish context. Oh, right. Did you? Okay. So I did a translation of the song and it's yeah. very interesting what she did right there. So mm, I just okay. had to mention that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then even, and also have such strong, a strong opening compared to what is such a great song and really sets the tone for the rest of the album. Um, every song on here is very different from the one previously, um, even though it's basically her, you know, she's the primary vocalist and um, you've got her at the piano and um, a lot of instrumentation uh, around her. Well, not a lot of instrumentation, but uh, strong instrumentation. This is an album that I wish we had been able to do a little bit more background on. Um, I think it's worthy of, of discussion in that way, getting to know more about her. But yeah, I really was impressed by this album. Strong production would be my final note. You get a lot of um, uh, backing. uh, Well, the bass I already said, but also just uh, other instruments as well. And she really, uh, she really brings it on this album. And I feel like she is, this is, I imagine an album where she got to say what she wanted to say and there wasn't any sort of studio interference or um, uh, it's a real artistic statement is what I'm trying to say. Did you guys recommend uh, recognize a cover on this album? I, I it took me a little while, but I did. did you, Matt? Oh, I caught it right away. Yeah, I was going to say I did too. I, 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 I didn't know which surprised. album it was from or, or what the name it was, but I'm like, that's not, that's Leonard Cohen. Like, yeah, it took right me. Oh, yeah. Okay, took I wrote me, that down. Yeah. Yeah, it took me a minute to realize it because it sang differently, and then I was like, "Wait a second, that's a Leonard Cohen song." That's, yeah, so, there's yeah. no mm-hmm. way to say goodbye. Is that you the got it? Yep. Hey, yeah. hey, that's no way to say goodbye. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. I wrote that down too. I said, "Sounds like a Leonard Cohen song." <laughs> yep. There you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was great. Uh, but yeah, that's my uh, strong uh, Roberta Flack album. I'm a big fan. So Matt, what did you think? Yeah, I like this. Um, I think. Uh, it, it's it, I, I to me it's very it's very jazzy like this is you know mm-hmm. the, the the instrumentation is basically for the most part you know the stand-up bass um you've got you know the piano you've got the drums a lot of on the drums it's a very jazzy drumming sound they're using like the brushes it's this very kind of soft sound and i would say that that's for a lot of the songs on this it's 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 very muted um and i really i did listen to this on headphones i'm glad that i did um you know it because i think i appreciated that more like really focusing on it because it's a lot of it's soft like it's not you know she's kind of starts slow and it's another thing i liked it's kind of like mm-hmm. starting you know not a whole lot going on and there is some building and i think that's my biggest complaint about this is i would like it to build more than it does i think that if she was able to finish some of these songs you know, putting more instrumentation forward. Um, not necessarily her voice. I actually think her voice does a really good job of building and there's some really powerful notes that she's hitting at some of the end mm-hmm. of, ends of these songs. But I think that like she could have put in more with the music to like put it over the edge for me. That would have made me, because in my head I was thinking, oh, if they just did this, like I'm actually kind yeah. of visualizing in my head what I would like the music to do. And it never, it does it a little bit, but it never does it to the point that I would um, really like it to, because that's one of my favorite things in music is when you can start from like nothing and then build to this crescendo and, and layers and stuff. Um, so I do I do like that. 
She's got a great voice. Um, I, and I, uh, you know, in, and I, and I just love the tone of it. It's, you know, just, it's a very muted, um, it's tender, you know, it's jazzy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and I, yeah, I liked it. I think I liked the beginning better. Um, I, I, I think I might disagree a little bit, Josh. I don't know if, I think some of the songs, certainly there's some difference, difference in sounds like, mm-hmm. you know, particularly the first three songs are like very different from one another. You know, the second song, the Angelitos Negros is like all, it's all Spanish, like a Spanish song, like flamenco mm-hmm. guitar and, and, you know, and it's a very different sound and compared to what's kind of more of like a, almost like a bluesy kind of funk. It's like some funk stuff's going on here as well. Yeah. Um, you know, as it kind of went on, I was seeing it blend a little bit more into kind of just very, you know, after like the fourth or fifth song, I'm like, okay, it's just going to be a lot of like kind of slow moving, you know, it's very pretty, um, you know, somewhat melodic, you know, just really beautiful music that um, it, it, and it kind of keeps that to me, it kind of keeps that, um, uh, that that tone throughout the throughout the rest of the album. Not that mm-hmm. it's a bad thing, but it just um, I I could have dealt with a, maybe a little bit more variety. Um, but but overall, it was very enjoyable, um, very easy listen. Um, and uh, yeah, she, her voice is great. And I wasn't, I think the only thing I was familiar with is the the Leonard Cohen song because that's what we covered already. But uh, but yeah, I I do like the jazzy nature of this. Is kind of like a nightclub. I could see this is like yeah. something you listen to like it late at night, not like it like ten or eleven, but like it. 3 a.m. like you know when the when the bar's cleared out and she's just kind of doing stuff on her own so um so yeah i i i liked it yeah I, i'll give you guys one guess as to how i felt about this album yeah I, you, i'm pretty sure you, you loved it. it i freaking love this album. is this the best <laughs> album is this the best album that we've covered so far john are you going that far uh, are you gonna not, do a, not, a, a, not not the best but it's yeah. it's very very high i it's josh hit on something right off the bat this album is way way ahead of its time it's genre bending as well there's a zillion different instruments in this out there's multiple different strings i think like big yeah. ones like cellos violins I, you know, I don't know enough about strings to go into it, but I'm pretty sure I heard cellos, violins. I wouldn't be surprised if there weren't like violas and what are the other, you know, full string compliments, right? That's pretty much there's, it. And the bass. Yeah. That's, okay. Yeah. yeah, there's, I, I didn't really hear uh, like a stand up bass, but I heard a regular bass oh, quite dude, a bit. Yep. No, stand up mm-hmm. bass is, you didn't hear, a, you didn't right. hear a stand up acoustic bass? That's all over the place. I was going to say, maybe I did. Maybe that's what I'm, I'm, it's, this is where my, I wish I had like better ears for stuff like that yeah but, uh, no that's definitely I, apparent so the was, base, one of the songs starts off with just a stand-up bass yeah. okay i was not sure <laughs> if that was stand-up bass yes yeah okay that's so that was okay i definitely heard bass though because i was gonna say it's all over the place guitars there's interesting drums on this there's all kinds of brass on this you know mm-hmm. saxophones and stuff so yep, horns, that'll, yep. I, I also love you know the this angelitos negros is one of the best songs we've covered it's fantastic it's so dusky and mm. atmospheric and like passion i just you don't luckily i can speak enough spanish that i knew what was going on but even if you don't know a word of spanish you don't need to because it conveys it you know what it's about without even having to know what it's about our ages or our hearts is a fascinating song because it's like a may december relationship um set yet somehow it's like designed to scandalize you a little bit but also very uh, it seems like it has to be autobiographical uh to some degree for someone whether it be roberta flack or someone else who wrote this uh i told jesus it sounds like a spiritual to be quite mm-hmm. honest uh, yeah. and then 
Hey, there's uh, that's no way to say goodbye. It was an interesting way to do Leonard Cohen again. I mean, I obviously know the first tem- time ever I saw your face. I'm actually shocked you guys don't know that. That was a huge. I'm pretty sure that won like Grammys and stuff, if I remember correctly. But mm-hmm. that's a big, big hit that I'm used to. And I you love mean, the you way- mean one Grammys that by, above her version, or that was somebody else. That her, did it? her version. Yeah, her no, version. it was okay. it was super famous. It was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even before I did the little teaser stuff about the Clint Eastwood movie, I knew that it was used in a movie that catapulted it but um yeah it's a it's a really really good song lyrically it just the composition it's it's yeah roberta flack's voice is incredible it's like um mm-hmm. i wouldn't say it's necessarily like the traditional like sexy or sultry but it's yeah. it's 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 but it's appealing and in its own way draws you in in the way like a voice that is like sultry does but in a different way as josh mentioned and we haven't really talked about this this also very much you can tell was of 1969 about the times but from a black perspective as opposed to a lot of the other music that was being done in 1969 that we've covered that was more um, of the white perspective, writers, you know, post summer yeah. of love, stuff like that. In that way, I think it has some similarities with Sly and the Family Stone album mm-hmm. that was also 1969, mm-hmm. and that both seemed ahead of their time. Both were fusions of different music, like funk, some uh, rock and R and B, some soul, different stuff like that. Albeit coming at it from different directions, but yeah, this is a, it's just a, it's a, gr- it's a wonderful. Uh, I know you're only supposed to listen to it once, and I, I did, but I'm going to listen to it again <laughs> on a night when I can't sleep, but not for bad reasons. And just, you know, like when it's like 1230 at night and you're just, you know, hanging out and it's one of those type of albums that just is like a great decompressor, um, but deep. I loved it. Yeah, it just yeah. it's just it's it's as it's an at, as atmospheric an album as we listened to that wasn't jazz in the 1960s is how I would describe it. Yeah, her voice drew me in. That's a good way to put it, um, just listening to it. I wasn't even necessarily paying attention to the lyrics much at the beginning of the listen, but then by the end I was. And and she sings about the black experience. It's funny that we just did Nina Simone's second, al- second mm-hmm. album we covered, you know, in that they both are singing very much about the black experience and the, the ups and downs of it, although more so in Nina Simone, the downs, right? Yeah. But this one at no point makes you feel that you're detached from it. Roberta Flack always gives you enough to draw you in no matter who you are, you know, whether it be the use of Spanish, you know, to go in a different direction or, you know, some traditional balladeering, which can get you in the door that you may be more used to. But I do think it's, it, that's a very interesting dynamic as well. Well, and I, I was definitely thinking about that Nina Simone, Wild as the Wind album when listening to this, because I, I think that there's similarities in terms of, you know, in, in parts of the ways that I was approaching this, but this to me was the Nina Simone album was just, it was so much darker and, and the, the pain and her voice. And mm-hmm. this was a, this was an easier listen. And I think it was more melodic. Like I said, I liked how it built. Um, and uh, you know, but I but do see some similarities there yeah. that, but I think musically I was much more drawn to this. Um, but there's pain the in this one. <laughs> there is, but it's not as, Again, for someone that's not really paying attention a whole lot mm-hmm. to lyrics, it's the, the Nina Simone's pain was more in the sonic presentation for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the, as and, and this wasn't as much. Not saying I couldn't oh, hear sadness as much, but with her, her Nina Simone's voice for that stuff is just so like, oh my right. god, it's, it's 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 just it hits you right in the gut. Um, but I I could I could hang my hat a little bit more on this with the uh, with the um, just 
the, the, the overall music, the sound of it, um, a little bit more upbeat, a little bit more melodic, again, liking the build um, and really liking, um, uh, I think Nina Simone's got a great voice. I would rather listen to Roberta Flack's voice, like, mm-hmm. at least with these, comparing these two albums. It's a much, it's a more of a pleasant listen for me. I'll, yeah. ta- I'll take both, but I heard plenty. I, I think what you might be hearing, Matt, is there's a mix between love and pain in this album, but there's a there's a lot of pain. I mean, Ballad of the Sad Young Man's a pretty damn sad song, sonically sure. and lyrically. Um, compared to what I, I thought was a song that sounded prettier than Nina Simone, but then you kind of get into it a little bit. You're like, there's an uneasiness in it, and you're trying to figure... And then that Leonard Cohen song is both the way he sang it and this way is a very sad love song. Um you know, I mean, even the title, hey, that's no way to say goodbye. So, mm-hmm. right. You know, yeah. And, yeah, and I, all I could think of is Nina Simone singing Trying Times, too. That's a song that would be right up her alley, but it would sound different. Yeah, yeah, I just think, I think Nina Simone's just the sound of her voice and the tone of her voice conveys nothing, almost like when she's doing songs like that, nothing but pain, you know? And Ooh, I, okay. and I hear with Roberta Flack, I, I can I can hear that too, but it's nowhere near as jar- I don't want to say jarring, you, but it's not as as visceral. I would say. Yeah. Did you feel that way on Pastel Blues too? Because I did Pastel Blues, Pastel Blues. I thought that Nina Simone was more up her her. I mean, she I wasn't agree. as in the low registry. She was hitting higher notes and she was doing more upbeat stuff. She was doing certainly sad. I mean, I mean, what is it? Uh, Strange Fruit. I don't know if you're going to get any more pain than that song, right? But mm-hmm. um, but that wasn't the whole album. You know, there was stuff, mm-hmm. and that's why I like that song. I can do that like a song or two, but when that's the entire album or like a large portion of it, I start to get into that. Oh my gosh, this is getting to be a little bit too much. But um, anyway, t- I, don't, I don't want to take too much away from this album because I really did like that. Yeah. Um, the way that she sang this, and like I said, it's just beautiful. And there's some there's things that are just really what struck me was just the tenderness, the softness about how just like there was very there's all there's instruments going on, but they're being very deliberate. They're being very slow. They're kind of just starting off like very muted and 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 just kind of throw in a little things here and then the horns come in and that's doing some interesting things there melodically and um i i thought it was uh yeah this is certainly worth another listen um but i think it's a i, I would definitely like to listen to this in headset um can I, much more than in, on a stereo can i add one more thing and i want to hear josh's take on this as well it's interesting that a large amount of the females that we're dealing with in the 60s uh are bonus episodes <laughs> for yeah. the most part and are african-american you know we have had some non-african-american females represented as solo artists laura nero who we did as one mm-hmm. um you know who, who also but she also came at us from an atypical background right you know, we had janice joplin within the context of big brother and the holding company grace slick in the context of jefferson airplane right we surrounded ne- we had nico sur- surrounded by men nico right surrounded by men you know even on her album she couldn't get away from that um but really when you look at it a lot of our, a lot of those artists, as we talked about, the white artists, with the exception of Laura Nero, were largely, you know, looked at within the context of a larger package with men around them. I think what's interesting about these female singers is that Aretha Franklin, Nina Simone, Roberta Flack, you know, even the Supremes to some degree, are they are unmoored <laughs> from yeah. men. And it was interesting that there was a space. I mean, I guess Tina Turner would be the only one that still was kind of stuck in that you know, traditional trap, right, with Ike and stuff there. But it was interesting that that African-American women were able to much more easily carve out, I think, what came for white women in the 70s much more. Would you say, that you'd, say that, you'd say that Aretha Franklin and the Supremes were not more to men? In, in terms of them as an act. Well, who is Aretha Franklin tied to? Aretha Franklin was Aretha Franklin. 
who's that guy? She wasn't she wasn't Nico and the Velvet Underground. She wasn't Jefferson Airplane oh, and Grace Slick. Yeah. She I'm, wasn't Janet I'm thinking Joplin about pro- and I'm Big about Brother and the Holding Company. I'm thinking about producers and like um you know well, managers no, and everybody, songwriters. Yes, everybody to uh, okay. you get what I'm saying though. But as okay. an act, when you as saw Aretha act, Franklin, okay. yeah, you yes. weren't seeing. Okay. And and you know I just thought that was very interesting that it mm-hmm. was largely African American women were allowed to have their own, for the most part, persona as musicians, right? No matter how difficult it was, they 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 registered. What about Dusty? What about was, Dusty Springfield? She was kind of her own thing, wasn't she? She kind of was, but once again, like Laura Nero, she identified as sexually ambiguous, right? You know, like yeah. or, or you know stuff like that. And also, Dusty Springfield was was making what was considered to be black music. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so it's once again, it's kind of really interesting um, in that fact. So I just thought about that, that that was very interesting because, you know, when we hit the 70s, right, we're going to have all kind of, you know, we're going to have Linda Ronstadt and Carly Simon and Joni Mitchell. And, you know, there's going to be a whole influx of folks, not to mention, you know, Fleetwood Mac, you know, which was a mix of women and men, you know, Hart, mm-hmm. which was a mix of women and men. It started moving in that direction. Um, but we weren't there yet mm-hmm. in the 60s. And I thought mm-hmm. about that. And I think that's what makes these albums by these strong African-American women stand out to me more because they, the, you know, they were fighting against a oh, male dominated yeah. business and they were African-American. So, you know, for them to and, and interestingly enough, they resonated with the musical press more than white women did which I think is another conversation in its own right. <laughs> well, they're certainly resonating with me more. Up to, up to I agree. Point. And that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I think so too. It really has. But yeah. once again, we'll see in the seventies, right? Because who, mm-hmm. who really are we, you know, I know you guys weren't big fans of Janis Joplin, but I liked her, you no, know, I like Janis Joplin. Uh, okay. So maybe I'm thinking maybe that's so far back, but, but yeah. uh, you guys were <laughs> sort of atypical on Jefferson. I'm, I'm airplane. not big yeah. on, yeah, I'm not big on Jefferson yeah. airplane or big yeah. brother. Yeah. That's, I would agree. With I that. think we all agreed that Nico was not our cup mm-hmm. of tea, but we pretty much all liked Aretha Franklin. Uh, we pretty much all like Nina Simone. We pretty much all like this Roberta Flack album. Uh, we pretty Dusty. much all like that Supremes album and Dusty Springfield Dusty, album. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and then Laura Nero, I think all of us, you know, certainly were kind of in the middle there, but cert- you know, didn't dislike. I and forgot just- my take on that. I forgot that was a while ago. I think I liked it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, yeah. well, this uh, this this is uh, Roberta Flack's highest uh, ranked album on best ever albums. It was ranked number five eighty three in the sixties, so not wow. even freaking close. Yep, one thirty four in nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, should be way way higher, as in. It easily in the top 100 way higher so but it's yeah but it's easily yeah it's her it's by far her highest ranked album it's 8,000 overall her next highest album is 16,000 overall so she's yeah she's not oh, very thank, well represented thank, in this list well best ever out but thank god right. there's rolling stone to do a little bit of cleanup on some of this stuff because they mm-hmm. are catching some stuff that i think we would all agree yeah mm-hmm. well deserved to be listened to the next segment sees the crew discuss the compilation album proud mary by ike and tina turner Released in 1991, it covers tracks from the years 1960 to 1976 and sees Tina's husky vocals, Ike's bass playing, and the backing vocals of the Ikeettes. Okay, so now we're going to cover Ike and Tina Turner, the combo. Hopefully hopefully no one screams, eat the cake, Tina, for those that have seen uh, uh, What's Love Got to Do With It before. Have, have you guys ever seen, seen that movie? That, actually. Oh, wow. It's, I haven't either. No. What He makes her eat cake? What's Cake's delicious. A, what's so wrong with there's that? A, there's a very, very infamous scene in that in which uh, Lawrence Fishburne plays Ike Turner mm-hmm. and uh, Angela Bassett plays uh, Tina Turner. And, you know, Ike is obviously 
you know, abusive, abusive as yeah. I think is well documented. And there is a cake given to her and I start screaming, eat the cake, Tina, eat the cake, Tina. <laughs> and true story. When I was okay. in college, when I was in college, we had a cat that a friend of ours had, but the cat could not be taken into her apartment. Um, and the cat had, had been abused and it was in an animal shelter and the cat did not have a name, which was kind of sad. And my roommate Roland <laughs> decided to name the cat Tina because the movie was out <laughs> at the time. And there you go. So true story. Amazing. Yeah. There's a couple other great stories about that cat too, who was very well treated. Um, but yeah, that's the one that comes is that, nice. Is that cake story true? Or is that made for the Yeah. Death, oh yeah. It's definitely, movie. no, it, it, okay. from everything I've heard, it was definitely, Ike always said it was elaborate it but pretty much everybody else yeah. <laughs> said it was now true, i'm gonna so. feel bad every time i eat cake like i'm gonna it's like it that's a little bit of something. an overreaction <laughs> yeah <laughs> really not, not associate it with that so I've but, a, i'm very sensitive john you're over empathetic <laughs> but anyway in in the spirit of of uh art and it being challenging and difficult at times with complicated people i do think that uh we should talk about this album which is actually proud mary the best of so it is actually a compilation album it's going to be the first compilation album we've done we've done some live albums and we've done some double albums but we have not done a compilation album yet even on the bonus episodes the so. elvis the elvis episode what do you guys did that nope. wasn't compilation it's a okay. live album yep. okay live okay album. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so this will be our first cup. There will be a couple others that we get uh, in this uh, in these episodes, but this will be the first one we're going to be covering. Uh, so I'm excited about it. Um, are you guys ready? I'm going to set the clock. Uh, as you've heard before, how cold list and hot take works. Probably if you're listening now, you've heard plenty of our segments. Are you guys ready? Mm-hmm. Ready. All right. I have set the clock and we are ready to go now. So Matt, first impressions of this compilation. So I have to start off by saying I I do take some issue with having a compilation on a best albums list. Um, I have a, it's slightly different with live albums, but it's, it's also somewhat similar. I think I more of an issue with compilations than live albums because it's like, I get why it's on here and I get why, cause I, I loved this. It, it was just, there's 23 songs on it. It's an hour yeah. <laughs> and 12. What is it? An hour and 12 minutes, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's a long album and it's fantastic. There's no weak song on here. It was a joy to listen to. Um, but I, but my initial thing is like, man, a compilation, I'll, I'll make you a mix CD. That'll be like the best album ever. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, so anyway, I, it's like cheating in a way. It is a little bit. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, but having said all that, I don't, I didn't really know a whole lot of this stuff. Uh, my, my main, you know, knowledge base of Tina Turner, um, was from, you know, like private dancer and what's love got to do with it from the eighties, the big, the big <laughs> wow. Tina Turner hair. I mean, that's what I grew and beyond up watching. Thunderdome. Uh, no, what's that? Mad Max beyond Thunderdome. Oh, I didn't see one? that. No, oh, I didn't. Oh, I got Yeah. yeah. Um, been that. That's cool. I, no, I didn't know that. But I, I'm aware that Tina Turner was, it's not like I didn't know that she was a, you know, a, a star in the 60s. And, you know, I, even though I hadn't seen the movie, I was familiar with, you know, um, her relationship with Ike Turner and, and all that stuff. So, um, so this was a lot of this was new to me. And it, I thought it was fantastic. I, first of all, I got to talk about her voice, which um, I really liked. It's, it's, you know, she's got a really strong mm-hmm. voice, yet it's raspy. Like you still like the raspy nature of the voice that I knew in the eighties mm-hmm. is certainly here um, in this record. It's still, it's a little crisper. It's younger, obviously. Um, but uh, she, she does an excellent job of singing all of these songs. I like it does. The album does progress. So you can see, 
um, you know, in the earlier parts of it, you can say it's okay. This is an earlier '60s song, and then the yeah. latter part of the album, you're getting into like funk, and uh, almost like uh, you know, like almost like Shaft type, you know, wah wah, you know, guitar mm-hmm. kind of stuff going on. Um, the covers were great. There's like a series of covers that kind of hit you back to back to back. Um, you, they do they cover come together, and I'm usually not a huge fan of other artists covering the Beatles because I think it's hard to outdo the Beatles. And I'm not saying that she outdid the Beatles here, but I think that it's it stayed true to the song. She made it kind of hers. I think that the production on here is really good too because I really like the way that the guitars sound, um, the way that the other the background singers, the backing singers sounded. Um, and uh, I found that very good throughout the, you know, the production, uh, very strong throughout the entire album. They go right into Honky Tonk Women, which was great. They do Proud Mary, which starts off slow and then picks up. I really like that. And then they also did, you know, there's a lot of CTS highlights in here because then really? they did the yeah. uh, I Want to Take You Higher, the Sly and the Family Stone song. So mm-hmm. I really liked it. I was like, oh, I know that from CTS. Um, so uh, I, yeah, I, I really <laughs> the enjoyed podcast it. I'm on. Uh, the yeah. podcast I'm on. Thanks. I know that from the podcast I'm on. I'm, I do. I, I'm doing myself so many favors on this podcast, yeah. so I have to appreciate myself on that. Props to me. Um, but uh, yes, but uh, I wanted to. I only listened to this once. We, you know, I know I, I got a little bit more time to prepare for this episode, but uh, I. I, I will certainly go back to this. This was an this was an excellent album from top to bottom. It's long, but it's it's great. I yeah, um, I'll I'll let you guys talk and we can kind of I can extrapolate more later. Gotcha, Josh. Yeah, I agree. I I liked it, seeing the progression of her music from you know '60s doo-wop girl group to the more powerful, confident, sexy solo artist that she became. Um, I think I take a little issue with the fact that Ike is labeled on this album because I think he's only on like one song that I recognize. And it just oh, seems... but he's playing those bass lines, man. Oh, which are, okay. which and, are he, and he pretty, key. and he wrote everything, didn't he? Yeah. Basically, yeah, he like, wrote. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, the stuff that's original, yes, right, because okay. they did a lot of cover. But yes, but the bass lines, it's. Fairness, oh wait, Josh. actually, Tina wrote several songs in the latter part of the album. Now that I yeah. have this up, but yeah, but he wrote a lot of the earlier stuff. He did write a bunch of stuff. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that makes more sense then. I thought it was just him singing like on that one song that <laughs> was pretty funny. Um, I liked the uh, incorporation of funk and and more into like we got to see some, you know, with the best of we got to see her progression into the 70s, which, you know, we haven't tackled that music yet on the main feed. Right. And um, and like Matt said, too, I I like the covers of all of the songs and because they were so fresh in my mind, we got a chance to see somebody else do them. I think the main thing, and this is why she's on the rock and roll hall of fame ballot this year is she's just like a supremely good Mm -hmm. female artist. And I think she paves the way for so many other uh, women acts and, and she makes everything her own. You can tell that on the covers. You can tell that, that she doesn't need a, she doesn't need to be part of a girl group because she's she is like take charge and you can hear that in her music so yeah i really enjoyed this too i didn't know a lot of her um a lot of the music on this album i think i've only known her from movies and and probably stuff from the 80s or when she was you know when i was growing up gotcha well i i i do know tina turner pretty well and i was looking forward to this album um 
unlike a lot of compilation albums, including some in the bonus albums that we're going to do, sometimes compilation albums can be a lot because it's one artist just over. Mm -hmm. I'm not much of a greatest hits guy, to be quite honest. I feel I like to see... I like to see artists in their time, but I will say, as both Josh and Matt said, I think this was an exception to that. And I think the reason is because it's almost like two albums. The first 12 mm. tracks almost read as a standard, like almost like Tina and Ike doing girl group stuff and clearly stuff designed for the mainstream, but I think even more so like to, to white audiences. They're covering mm. a lot of rock music. They're doing a lot of like doo-wop and stuff like that. And then the second half of this album that kicks off with Funkier Than a Mosquito's Tweeter, which is an <laughs> yeah. awesome song, by the way, <laughs> on all fronts, too. is probably yeah. my favorite song on this and just great the way it's sang. It, it changes entirely into a funk album that's incredibly yes. sexually explicit. Yes, and I'd like to point out there's a string of, for those that want to know, there's a string of six songs that are funkier than a mosquito's tweeter, Upu Padu, Use Me Any Way You Want, Up in the Hia, River Deep Mountain High, Nutbush City Limits, and Sweet Rhode <laughs> Island Red. Yeah. I don't, if you don't, if you're not a euphemism person, I'll give you a hint. Every single one of those is a euphemism about sex and, in particular, anatomy, I would say. And then say. the next two songs are Sexy Ida. Right, <laughs> which is basically, yeah, and then Baby Get It On, which are less about the carnal nature of it, you know, like, and more so about sexy, strong females. And Acid Queen goes that way, too. Either, you mm -hmm. know, Tina being the sexy, strong female or, you know, encountering other you know, females, you know, who challenge her. But yeah, I, I, that second half of the album pushes it over the top for me um, because it's just, mm. it's an excellent funk. The bass lines are tremendous. Um, everything's got like big, big hooks in it. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's just very enjoyable yeah. and nothing like we've covered outside of the Isaac Hayes album. Um, and, right. and as you guys said, it's it's stuff from the 70s and it sounds like the 70s. And it actually got me very excited for our yeah. 70s stuff. Yeah, it was very it was, like refreshing to hear something different. Yeah, I would agree 100%. But yeah, I, I very much enjoyed this album. As they said, I, I don't know if I can rank it in the, the tippy top of it because it is a compilation album. And I do put a little bit of a handicap on that. But... Yeah, I, I, all the pieces fit together for me. Tina Turner's voice, the songs, um, the the bass lines, uh, the Ikeettes when they came in, I thought really complimented mm -hmm. uh, in, uh, Tina Turner's voice as well. Uh, yeah, strong yeah, recommend. The, yeah, the backing vocals I really liked. You know, throughout the you know um, throughout the album, I thought that was all strong. And like I said, the production was great. Um, I liked yes. how sexy I liked "Sexy Ida" Part One and Two. You know, it's the mm -hmm. same song but totally different. And I was I liked the first one so much. And I was like, well, the second part can't be that. And the second one was like, no, this is, I don't know if I would say that I liked it better, but I definitely, it was almost like a totally different song. Um, you know, with the, it's like they kind of did like one was much more of a funkier version and which one was more of like kind of like a rock version. Um, but yeah, it's for an album that's this long that has this many tracks. I, I really am struggling to find any duds. I mean, maybe the Acid Queen, the last track might've been my least favorite on here, you know, um, but, yeah, you uh, gotta watch the Tommy movie though, because that's that, right. that image of her was in my head from from here when I heard that song. Is that was that did that help it, Josh, or was yes. that, did that yeah, Definitely. okay, okay, yeah. um, but uh, 
Yeah, and I—I I mean, I guess this spans their entire career, then, right? I mean, basically, this is pretty much this, yeah. is this the the yeah. quintessential like if you're going to listen to Ike and Tina Turner, this is what you would listen to. Well, I guess. it's it's this is why they put it on the top 500 yeah. albums, right? This is the one that they said yeah. to listen to. And well, remember, in that era, T- Ike and Tina, it's you know you have to remember them in the context of the 60s and 70s too, because it wasn't an album time. Yeah, for, right. Especially for black artists, you know what I mean. It was a, it was a very much a singles and designed to get you to watch live shows. And it's right. funny because look how many live albums we cover, and almost all of them that we cover on these bonus episodes and in the C are, are artists that do R and B, soul, and mm-hmm. funk, right? Because it was designed to get you into the, into the the club, the the music, the, even the jazz albums, right? Were really designed to be listened to live. Um, and so it is different. And so the album culture was not as big a thing um, in that genre. Well, yeah. and even though this isn't a live album, I was definitely thinking throughout this. Could you imagine seeing these people, th- these guys perform this? Like, yeah. w- regardless of the time, like this, you can just tell that a show that, that, that they're, they're playing music like this. And even the few, the videos that I've seen of, of their performances here and there throughout, you know, my life, really, um, I it, it would just have to be insane to see them perform this uh this stuff um just great talent um you know great songs that that they wrote great great performance yeah and and i have to say the production too really stood out because there were times where i felt like you know maybe in the earlier parts of it you know the earlier 60s you know it's like okay it's a little bit more of a of a of a of a less a lesser quality um but i was definitely you know throughout i was like man it's overall and the guitar sounds too that's the other thing especially with like come together i was like okay how's this going to be and i really I really like the way that they did the guitar sounds in that song in particular. And I think that that extended also throughout the rest of the songs that it was just a very crisp, um, you know, uh, you know, clear sound, um, you know, for being in the sixties and the seventies, you know, I think that that certainly put it over for me, um, as being like a really enjoyable album. And in fairness, Josh, that is Ike too. So if we're going to, you know, give him why the billing is there, that Mm -hmm. is part of, part of his legacy Actually, as well. I have to say to too, Josh, I was expecting him to sing more. I didn't realize right. that he didn't really sing. I think <laughs> right. he just did the up in here. Yeah. Like the up, up, which is a great yeah. song. I think that was the only time you really heard his voice. But um but yeah this apparently was released in ninety one. So um yeah. it took him a while for this to for this to uh, for them to gather this stuff together. Well, well we're I, at the I, uh, go ahead I'm I sorry. I was just gonna say I remember uh when I watched Gimme Shelter, uh she opens for the stones and there's a clip of her performing Damn. at one point on the um yep. not not at altamont but in like another show in the run-up to on that year um, in that so, let it bleed era she was one of the yeah. acts that we mentioned that yeah remember when they did that crazy tour we talked about mm-hmm. yep she was one of the, she was one of the lead it was like chuck berry bb king like tina turner it was like a who's who of you know people that are going to bring the house down and you got to give the stones credit because to put those people in front of you and still perform yeah. I, I remember also we talked about the stones had to follow james brown one time too on that oh, one yeah follow that motherfucker so yeah that's like pretty fantastic <laughs> as well so yeah but uh all right so we're at the two minute mark anything you guys want to add as we kind of come to the end of the the cold take or the hot take i should say we don't cover any she doesn't have any albums on the main on the main feed so through the decades i just checked while we were talking so yeah, what is the is... highest what is the highest ranked Ike and Tina Turner album? I did not look that up. Oh, okay. Well, um, but so this I guess is it... our only chance. I'm, guess, I'm I would guess if we're talking a Tina Turner album, my guess would be Private Dancer from the eighties. No, I, would be... I was talking about, but no, but I'm talking about Ike and Tina Turner. Oh, there's like mm-hmm. one that's like the you yeah. know, um, I don't know. Maybe I can. 
I think they were but, just putting out singles compilations, Matt. You know what had, I mean? I don't know if there's formal. I mean, no, they had to have albums. I mean, I know it wasn't an albums here. I'll look it up right now. It is River Deep Mountain High, I, okay. I and Tina Turner, which ranked 520 in the 1960s. So, wow. so <laughs> uh, yeah, so we weren't even close to covering them in the 60s. But uh, I, I, it was great. I, you know, it's long, you know, but um, you're not going to. Uh, but it doesn't feel long. No, and, and, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, and that's one thing. It's that I would say there's an art to that as well. If you're going to do a compilation, because some compilations are inter- interminable, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. 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 And best ever. An, al- there's enough variety on this album too. Oh, for yeah. sure. That you don't feel like, okay, it's like one, it's not one girl group song after another. Um, yeah. Yeah. Best ever albums puts this in the nineties. Cause that's when it was released and it's 9,944 <laughs> in the nineties. So wow. <laughs> thank you, Rolling Stone. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for salvaging this from yeah (laughs) well anyway i think that'll put a bow on this segment i think pretty i don't want to speak for everybody but it sounds like uh recommend all the way around oh yeah yes i think i agree all right proud mary best of ike and tina turner check it out you can never have enough birds well unless you're josh and we'll see where mr tambourine man the group's debut album from 1965 checks in on our personal countdown the album a touchstone in folk music is often called the most successful American album of the mid-60s in rivaling the British Invasion. All right, so we are going to be doing our fourth Birds album, and it is our last Birds album because we will not see any in the 1970s. For those that are just coming uh, to the show right now, we covered Younger Than Yesterday way back in our earliest episodes. We then uh, covered, I believe it was Notorious Bird Brothers was Mm. next. Yep. And then uh, our third Birds album. We did Sweetheart of the Rodeo. Sweetheart of the Rodeo. Okay. I I knew we did another. We did Sweetheart of the Rodeo. Matt and I did that one on uh, the first Cleaning the Attic bonus episode in Paired with the right. monkeys, if I remember correct, right? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So we've gotten a fair amount of mid to late birds. So now this is as early birds as it gets. Early birds. It's the first one. And so we'll see if the bird is the word, as Matt said before we came on right now. And you know what? I'm going to start the clock. And who better to start with than our own sweetheart of the rodeo, Matt? <laughs> oh, it's me. Oh, that's yeah. so nice, it's a John. Me. It's a me. Yeah, a audio. It's a me. Um, <laughs> All right, so I first have to say, I, I, this we're recording this after we did our uh, our wrap up of the 1960s, and I think John, you mentioned that when, when we were talking about like our biggest, you know, um, takeaways or biggest rediscoveries, or you know, mm. of the decade was your you know realization, remembering that the birds are just freaking great. Yes, and I was one of my two. Yep. Yeah, and I think that this for me is like because I didn't really know a whole lot of birds, and this it's just so up my alley, right? This is just <laughs> full. So as opposed to, um, I would say, Younger Than Yesterday, Notorious Bird Brothers, where we saw them go a little bit more psychedelic, a little bit more experimental, starting to dip their toes into country, certainly went full-blown country and Sweetheart of the Rodeo. This is like, this is the, um, like the, the pop the poppier version of the birds. Um, yes. And first up, up and up front and center, you have, you know, the jangle pop that we've talked about many, many times. It's all over the place. The guitars are just so well, you know, they complement each other so well. I certainly recommend listening to this album with a headset because the stereo version, you know, the stuff that's kind of going on in, in from one speaker to the next is very intricate, very great, very, uh, very good. The harmonies are lush and, you know, and just, very soothing um and it, it's just 
it's 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 great. It's just pop folk rock gold, you know. Um, and I have a, a certainly a much more you know a, a newfound appreciation for them as a band. I didn't know a ton of the songs on this. I mean, certainly it starts off with Mr. Tambourine Man, which we've talked about before. One of the one of the four Dylan songs that are on this uh, Dylan covers that are on this, and one of their probably biggest known songs. And they do, you know, that's it's hard to argue that, 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 that they don't do that better than Dylan does. You know, um, mm-hmm. it, it's just, it's a much more fuller sound. It's a lusher sound. Um, and, uh, they cover a couple other Dylan albums and the big surprise here for me, guys, I had no idea that I feel, I'll feel a whole lot better was a bird song. I always knew that from Tom Petty on full moon fever. I thought that was a Tom Petty song. <laughs> I, I, it sounds like Tom Petty on this album. It's a but Tom Petty covered this on Full Moon Fever, and I've known that album since like it came out in the what yeah. nineteen eighty nine or eighty eight or whatever. And I, and I was like, oh my god, this is a freaking bird song. I just I sw- I thought that was Tom Petty up until three days ago when I listened mm-hmm. to this record. So I was totally and I know Tom Petty loves the birds. I know that he's worked with McGuinn. I know that they've covered. I remember when on the Tom Petty uh, Pack Up the Plantation, which is a live album that Petty did, you know, many, many in back in the 80s, probably that they opened that up with. So you want to be a rock and roll star. So I know that that he's covered the birds before, but I didn't know that song was a bird song. So and it's legit. It was a Gene Clark song. Um, that was the main songwriter of the birds at the time. But um, but this is also the album that has the Bells of Rimini on it, which we talked about in an earlier episode, which is what George Harrison modeled um, uh, If I Needed Someone, that kind of that, And sure that did guitar he, because it sounds like George Harrison. Yeah, yeah it's, it's that. And that was like the give and take, right? Because he was the one that first started with the Rickenbacker and then McGuinn took it to this different level that just you know made it like a signature sound of this band. Um, and then Harrison kind of aped some stuff from it later on. But uh, uh, fantastic album ends with we'll meet again like you know which is mm-hmm. that uh that you know that song that ends dr strange love and it's i forget it's like this classic song that's been around for many many years so that was kind of an interesting surprise but uh um just a lot of fun really great pop music really great production um i love the birds this was a very good album <laughs> good josh this is my favorite birds album that we've listened to mm, that I doesn't think, surprise me i think when yeah. Like Matt said, when they go into the pop uh, mode, as they are on this first one, probably on their second album, too, um, something I can see why they were as popular as they were. I can hear why they were as popular as they were Uh, when they transition to the to the more folky jangle stuff. I didn't that never resonated as much as with me as this does. I can see there's catchy songs on here. There's. Uh, great harmonies by the members and you can see why the the birds were were popular um i like the i think the album started out stronger for me in the front than in the back but there are um, good songs throughout um i like the some of the themes i noticed on this album were just about love and and also um, like kind of like unrequited love or fr- <laughs> something about friendship too and the and just like good vibes I guess would be a, a general umbrella term for for this album um, I want to listen to their second album now after hearing this because then I'll have you know the trifecta of <laughs> at least like their beginning of their career I still need to listen to Sweetheart of the Rodeo but um, this is this is a promising. Uh, get get a prepared debut. for something completely different <laughs> than this and the other two birds albums. 
Yeah. Well, they so, actually have two, they actually have two in between this and uh, and um, yes, younger than yesterday. So yep. you'd, oh, have, okay. you'd have, you'd turn, have turn, 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 and yep. then fifth dimension. Oh, that's two more dimensions than I'm used to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean that being said, it's it's still not uh, it's a it's a slight recommend for me. I wouldn't, I wasn't like bowled over, especially compared to some of the other albums that we've, we've talked about in these segments, but, um, it was, it was a pleasant surprise. I was expecting, you know, more of what we'd heard before and, and it was different. Gotcha. Well, I like this album a lot. Um, yeah. I don't know if I like it as much. I, in fact, I know I didn't like it as much as younger than yesterday. And I liked it the same as notorious bird brothers. Uh, one thing that I really like about the birds is they write, they write really good songs and they do other people's songs exceptionally well. There's yeah. a part of me that yeah. thinks the birds should have just been the, the Bob Dylan should have just given his songs to them and they should have just been his like house band. And he should have been like the Clive Davis to, you know, and they were the Whitney Houston, right? Just singing his, he was the Jerry they, Goffin and Carol King. Yes, exactly. The, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they there you go. That's what I was going for. I think even more. Three minutes, three and a half. Minutes. Cause I mean, they do Dylan better. They do. Exactly. And, and you guys keep taking sort of my points, which is awesome. Cause we're seeing the same thing. It's like, they managed to take Dylan, get the quality of his songs, but also narrow out the parts of Dylan that are too expansive and really get to the heart of it. Um, the, the jangle guitar is fantastic. The birds have really interesting hooks. Would you agree, guys? And, and what I mean by that is they, mm-hmm. they, don't, they don't stay in a hook as long as most people do. They get there, it's distinguishable, but then they, they get out of it as quickly as they get there, and they sort of meander to that hook. Do you guys notice that, or is that just something I'm picking up? I, I, I haven't. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I can't say that I've picked up on that. I'm not saying it's not there, but I, I wouldn't say that that was a take that I had from it. Okay. Um, I, can, I can agree that they write really great hooks, um, and I it's an interesting take, and I would probably have to go back and listen to well, it a little bit more. It, to like, Let me yeah. give you an example, because why the birds never sound dated to me is because you can see how many people were influenced by how the birds sound. Hmm. And I'll give, you, I'll give you a perfect example. In the 1980s, off the top of my head, you know, R.E.M., The Smiths, The Cure... 10,000 Maniacs, all those bands were clearly influenced by that jangle guitar sound. There's a guitarist in each of those bands that's basically doing that sound. But all of those bands couple it with big hooks that that, that repeat and that build up from the first verse, escalate, and then into the hook, right? And the birds don't always write songs like that the, uh-huh. uh, uh, the exception to that rule would be turn 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 which ironically is, enough is a song that we didn't cover in any of these albums well but it's I, not even a, it's a oh you're talking about just you're not talking about songs that they wrote i'm talking i'm did. talking about songs they did in terms right, of okay. how they structure songs and stuff like that um but uh, yeah i i love this i mean nothing's changed with the birds they sound for for an album that was released in 1965 it's way ahead of its yeah. time yeah. it's yeah. super I've said many different times, I don't mean to go into cliches, but it's um, a lot of the art, music of the 60s, you know, you can see who its fathers were, but it doesn't have a lot of children, um, which was the thing that I most noticed about the 60s. Not a lot traveled, but the birds, my gosh, yeah. they have tons of children. And that's what always stands out to me because it, it's clear that a lot of people listen to these albums or listen to the next generation of artists that clearly listen to these albums Mm -hmm. and they themselves were influenced. And so I think the birds have 
real legs and uh i i just enjoyed it i i it's hard i can listen to any of these four birds yeah. albums and they're all very different is yes. the other thing that's really cool about it and well, and they changed their personnel like because gene clark's on this one right yes and then yeah and then later you know sweetheart of the rodeo we've got no david crosby no gene clark we've got graham parsons right nope. and then yeah yeah and then yeah and then you know roger mcguinn and uh the hillman right the bassist they're, well, they're, they're the only they're two the they're the only two people yeah. that are there throughout the whole time but uh yeah no they're definitely switching personnel um and i i would also i mean it's interesting because i'm just thinking about when you're talking about influences it's not just like people in the 80s but like there's a lot of, like a lot of the alt rock bands of the 90s not the grunge ones as much not like the heavier bands but there's mm -hmm. a lot of like and it is a lot of it is to the generic rock of the 90s and so but some of it was really good too like rem or whatever but they're you know it they carried for for decades you know um and uh it, and it's and that's one of the things that makes me wonder like why did i not try to because i've always been aware of the birds but like i never got like oh i need to get this album where i really knew their stuff very well and just mm -hmm. in, in doing this i'm just growing so much more you know a, a, just a, a much stronger appreciation for them and it's just like one of those things how did i like i should have been into this way before you know we started this project so um yeah, I can't say enough good things. And the production, I guess go back to the production. Yep. Again, you're right, 1965, and this sound, it sounds I this know, crisp it's crazy. and this clear and this, like, this modern, you know? It's just, it's so, it's so, it does sound 60s, but it, it, it it's a minimal 60s kind of sound. And it, the yep. overwhelming, overpower, overpowering, um, you know, feeling that I'm getting from this is this is just like a modern, you know, day, you know, pop rock recording is what it is. Yeah. Um, so props to that, whoever's producing this. What do you think it is, Josh, we're at about the five-minute mark. What do you think it is that doesn't resonate with you about the birds, Josh? Because I'm not in any way saying – because there's bands that I, you know, have been very vocal that you guys have liked more. But what do you think – because obviously Matt and I clearly are fawning over them. Yeah. Different stuff. Yeah, that's a, it's something I've been thinking about, you know, every time we've listened to one of their albums. And I, I still can't put my finger on it. I think it's something with the folkiness of it. Um, it's just not – or maybe, like you said, John, there's just not enough strong, strong hooks, or like the way they maybe the song structure themselves doesn't doesn't work for me on some level. Um, that yeah, it's something that I'm still wrestling with, really. And I haven't well, I, mean, I haven't revisited those albums since we've you know did them way back in the early days of CTS. But maybe mm -hmm. the now that we've gone through the entire '60s, something will strike a chord with me. Well, and if you if you're not feeling it though, I appreciate that you bring a different take to it because that's what keeps it authentic, you know. And yeah. that's just I think what's interesting because sometimes stuff just doesn't resonate. You know, we we've joked a lot, but I don't think any less of Matt for like the Otis Redding thing clearly struck with yeah. me and you, but didn't with Matt, you know. And um, you know, in this case, there's one there's ones I know that I felt very different about than you guys did. So it's you, you were you were you were a little more ang you were a little angry with me at the Otis Redding than you are, Josh, about the birds. That's um. I, I wouldn't say angry is the wrong. I was I was confused because we'd done a Sam Cooke album so shortly before yeah, that, and to true. me, it's weird to me that you were super enthusiastic about Sam Cooke and yeah. didn't like Otis Redding. I think that's what was baffling. Whereas like Josh, for example, you know, there's other bands similar to the Birds that Josh had similar takes on, right? So it wasn't he's more as consistent to me. Yeah, he, well, <laughs> more so like there wasn't a band that sounded like the birds that Josh was effusive about and then said he hated the birds. It was, you, I think that's what it was. Yeah. You know, you guys talking about it, something that may be a key to it is 
that I feel like the birds don't have any edge to them. They're very they're very gentle with their with their mm-hmm. lyrics and with their melodies and and kind of their vibe and tone. And I think that is maybe one of the reasons hmm. why cuz even though they make good pop songs, even like the Beatles have like an edge to them and especially in their later albums and I don't That's think a- the birds ever like bring that to to the table. That's interesting hmm. you say that because I think of the birds as being edgier than the Beatles in some ways. Hmm, interesting. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I, I see what I you're saying. Just... I, I see what you're saying though because but I like, do. Yeah. It's it, like there's no like, like with the Beatles sometimes with a Lennon or McCartney vocal or like a John Fogarty. I'm thinking like I know you Credence was one of your favorites yeah. or your favorite. Like Fogarty can kind of come in with like a screaming kind of like you know right. guttural kind of thing, and you're not getting that from McGuinn's vocals or you know or Hill. Well, and vocals. he's it's writing more of a, cl- a cleaner. Very traditional sound in that regard. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's writing very traditional hooks, which kind of goes back to what I said. Like, I mean, you don't have to search far at all for the hooks in a CCR album. They're right right there, you know? Right. But it's, but I think that's also about the Sonic. It's, it's a poppier kind of crisper, you know, sound as opposed to like, there's some CCR stuff that gets a little swampy, a little, Mm -hmm. little like bluesy and little sludgy. Right. The Beatles can have some of that, you know, but But you're not really getting that with us. So that, right. It always builds that coda, though, that we talked about. It's like in a CCR album, it's going to be like... Like, it escalates, you know what I mean? And then it's like, you know, I'm thinking of like, look it out by back door, right? But it could be a lot of CCR songs. It's like the lyrics, escalation into a bridge, right? Chorus. The birds rarely ever do that. And I wonder if that's a piece. That was kind of what I was trying to get at with the chorus. Before and maybe that because I know Josh likes the Kinks, Josh likes CCR, and yep. and those are bands that write. <laughs> well, it's like I mean the, the the Kinks are the same way. Like you know I think like Picture Book, right? Like yep. same exact song structure. You know, and then like of course like you know Picture Book, think about you, but like you rarely ever get hooks like that from the birds outside of like right. I said like Turn 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 is the only one, and it's not even their song. It's basically a cover. So yep. maybe that's what it is, Josh. You know who else doesn't do that and you were lukewarm on is the band. Yep. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe that's the the key there. Something something about either how they structure their songs or if there's not a strong I'd, enough. I'd say the band uh, has a little bit more edge to that. You know, at, at least oh, when, I, when I hear you say edge, I'm Josh, saying, I'm, I'm you know, yeah, I think we're talking about. But I'm not saying you're wrong, John. I think it's just like it's two separate things, um, mm-hmm. and maybe we're honing in. Well, on I was both just saying. Them. I was just saying song structure. The band don't right. write, you know, they write the same type of hooks the birds do. You know, think about mm. like, you know, like take a load off, but but they how long do they stay in that? Like 15 seconds tops, right? And yeah. then they're out of there. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, we got 20 seconds. Any last thoughts? Well, I just, I like throwing these in here just for context. So this is number 110 in the 1960s. So oh, we, wow. okay. uh, yeah. and actually younger than yesterday is now 105 and Sweetheart of the Rodeo is 102. So, th- so four of the, three of the four albums that we've covered are now technically outside uh, the 100. Bestemberalbums.com, um, their taste is in luxuate. their mouth. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I'm going to put a bow on this episode. So... Uh, I think we have two recommends and one non-recommend for the. Or actually, you were a slight recommend, right, Josh? Yep. Yeah, you're not. Okay. You're not shitting on them. You're just like you're, yeah. you're not like over the moon. Right. Yeah. So, fair. two strong recommends and a slight recommend for the birds, Mr. Tambourine Man, their debut album.
It's been our pleasure to have hosted you for another episode of Combing the Stacks, but the time has come for us to turn off the lights and send you home with a fond farewell. Before you leave, remember that new episodes are available every Thursday on a variety of streaming platforms, including Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, Overcast, and Pocket Casts. You can email with questions, comments, or general feedback at combingthestacks at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at combingthe. We'd also like to give a shout out to Defy the Mall, who performs our theme song Coastin', as well as Red Bellows, who are creating the ambiance you're currently experiencing by way of their track, Phonetic. Have a great night!